Join us now for Health for Life, brought to you by Hamilton Healthcare System. Today, we're talking with Dr. Michael Hartley of Hamilton Vascular Center. Hamilton Vascular Center has two locations, one in the Medical Arts Building on Burleson Road in Dalton, the other inside Hamilton Physician Group, Murray Campus on GI Maddox Parkway in Chatsworth. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Hartley. Very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Dr. Hartley is a board-certified vascular surgeon. He is a fellow of the American College of Surgeons and the medical director for vascular and endovascular surgery at Hamilton Medical Center. Dr. Hartley, what exactly is vascular disease? Vascular disease is simply a narrowing of the blood vessels, usually a progressive narrowing of the, of the vessels caused by the deposition of cholesterol and calcium within the arteries, primarily caused by smoking, diabetes, and high blood pressure. Where does vascular disease most commonly occur? Well, it occurs most commonly in the arteries that provide blood flow to the heart, called the coronary arteries, in the arteries that provide blood flow to the brain, called the carotid arteries, and in the arteries that provide the blood flow to the legs. But it can occur in any blood vessel in the body. Now, what kind of symptoms does vascular disease cause? When the disease involves the arteries of the heart, it causes chest pain. That chest pain most commonly occurs when a person is doing something stressful or being active, but it can also occur when resting. It can cause pain that goes to the left shoulder and the left jaw, but it can also go down the left arm. It could also cause a very heavy sensation in the chest with some difficulty breathing. Now, these all sound like heart attacks. It's exactly what they are. The difference between symptoms that go away and symptoms persist is the difference between what we call angina and a true heart attack. We all want to be as healthy as we possibly can, but why should we care about vascular disease specifically? Well, cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death worldwide. It's the leading cause of death in the United States. It's the leading cause of significant disability worldwide, including the United States. Over 80 million Americans are affected by vascular disease, and there are almost 1 million deaths every year from cardiovascular disease. When you break it down to strokes, there are over 750,000 strokes every year. Only 10% of people that have a stroke will actually fully recover. 40% of the people that have a stroke will have some moderate to severe disability. 35% of people that have a stroke will require nursing home care or will even die after the stroke. Stroke is the leading cause of acute admission to a nursing home for adults. 20,000 people die every year of ruptured abdominal aortic aneurysms, which we commonly refer to as a AAA. 2.7 million Americans uh, have abdominal aortic aneurysms, and the risk of death when one of these aneurysms ruptures is 90%. 90%. 90%. So it's, and, and unfortunately, it's it's silent. It's, it's very frequently asymptomatic. If you're talking about disease in the legs, while the disease in the legs is far less likely to lead to loss of life, it certainly leads to loss of limbs. About one out of 20 people People that have peripheral arterial disease will have one or both of their legs amputated Ooh. before death. The interesting thing is that can be treated, particularly the peripheral arterial disease, can be treated usually fairly easily. It can even be prevented in many cases. Unfortunately, because it's caused by smoking and diabetes, you know, it's it's our unhealthy lifestyle makes it difficult to treat these problems. You know, that unhealthy lifestyle that you're talking about leads to things like diabetes. Absolutely. And I suffer from diabetes. Diabetes is such a terrible, terrible disease. Never, I've been fortunate not to have ever smoked, but I do have diabetes. And I can imagine that someone who does smoke and has diabetes would be 
that's just a, a double whammy it, there. It, it really is, especially for the peripheral arterial aspects of the disease. It's, you know, the, the smoking affects specific blood vessels kind of from the belly button to about the knees. And diabetes affects the blood vessels below the knees. So mm-hmm. if you smoke and are diabetic, you can have some pretty profound arterial disease. Yeah, very sad. And so many people do smoke Absolutely. with diabetes. Absolutely. I'm sure you see that all the time. All the time. We're talking with Dr. Michael Hartley of Hamilton Vascular Center. Let's get a little more specific information about vascular disease. Let's start with carotid artery disease and strokes. What exactly is a stroke, and how is it impacted by carotid artery disease? A stroke is when blood flow to to an area of the brain changes and causes an injury to that area of the brain. There are two types of strokes. One is an ischemic stroke. The other is a hemorrhagic stroke. Ischemic strokes occur when there is a loss of blood to a part of the brain, starving that part of the brain of oxygen and other nutrients that cause damage to that part of the brain. Ischemic strokes are far and away the most common type of stroke and account for about 80% of all strokes. A stroke can also be caused by hemorrhage, which is essentially just bleeding inside the brain from damage to a blood vessel that isn't related to a traumatic event. Disease in the carotid arteries can cause both types of strokes. The more narrowed an artery becomes, the higher the risk of stroke. Well, can you review the symptoms of a stroke one more time for our listeners? This is so important to everyone listening. Sure. Sudden numbness or weakness of one side of the face, one arm and or one leg, sudden confusion or trouble speaking, sudden visual changes, sudden trouble walking, dizziness, loss of balance and coordination, sudden severe headache with no known cause. Those are all stroke symptoms. I understand. My mother, she had a stroke, and I know it's not an x-ray. What is it called whenever they are able to actually look at the brain? Uh, There are a couple of different ways. One is uh, computed tomography. We call a CAT scan, CT Mm -hmm. scan. Uh, One of the more common ways to look is with an MRI also to look in the brain tissue, and that is more sensitive for an acute stroke. If, If you have symptoms... An MRI will show the, the damage to the brain much more quickly than a CT scan will. I got you. My mother, she had a, a stroke, and the uh, you could see where the, the part of the brain had died. Mm-hmm. But it was only about the size of the tip of your little finger, just a little bitty place. She was so fortunate that it wasn't a major, Absolutely. A major thing. But she has no short-term memory now. That must have affected mm-hmm. that it, part of the brain. Probably did. Must have affected that part of the brain. Now, what do I do if... I or one of my family or friends is exhibiting these types of symptoms. If you ever have any concern for stroke, the first answer is always to call 911. Tell the 911 operator that you're concerned someone's having a stroke. If you suspect that someone may be having a stroke, think of the word FAST, F-A-S-T. FAST refers to face, arms, speech, and time. Look at a person's face. Ask him to smile. If one side droops, that can be an indicator of a stroke. Have the person raise both arms. Does one arm drift down? Can a person repeat a simple phrase like, you can't teach an old dog new tricks without slurring? Time is of the utmost importance during a stroke. If you see even one of those symptoms, call 911 immediately. Getting medical treatment within three hours of the onset of the symptoms can make a difference between complete recovery and a lifelong disability. Well, now, if someone is able to get to a doctor, get to a hospital quickly, what are some of the things they can do? What we try to do is get everyone what we call thrombolytic therapy or thrombolytic medications. And it's a medication that's given through the IV that actually helps dissolve the the blood clots within the brain. There are more advanced techniques depending on the situation. Um, the physicians can actually access the blood vessels in the groin and put catheters and, and actually find the area where the stroke has occurred and use different devices to remove those plaques and those blood clots. Wow, that is something else. 
But again, it's, it is very, very time dependent. The quicker we see a patient in the hospital, the quicker we can start those therapies, the more likely those therapies will be to be successful. I got you. How do I know if I have disease in the carotid artery that could increase my risk for a stroke? Screening for carotid artery disease is actually really easy. We use an ultrasound test very similar to what is used to evaluate pregnant women. We use that ultrasound to look at the blood vessel. It uses sound waves to look at the blood vessel, and we measure the speed at which the blood flows through the blood vessel. The faster the blood moves through the blood vessel, the more narrowed the blood vessel is. The good thing is that there's essentially no risk to the procedure, which is not something you can say very often in in medicine. It uses sound waves, so there's no radiation involved, there are no needles involved, and it's a relatively inexpensive uh, test to perform. Anyone with risk factors such as smoking, diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, or family history, personal or family history of vascular disease should speak with their doctor about getting a screening ultrasound. Your family doctor can also listen to your neck to see if he hears any abnormal sounds that we refer to as a brewy that may be an indicator of narrowing in the neck arteries. What happens if I find out I have significant disease in my carotid artery? Well, we'll look at the study and and determine what the best course of treatment is for for the patient. Um, The treatment really depends on how narrow the blood vessel is. Treatment options can also be affected by presence of symptoms. If you have symptoms, we tend to be a little more aggressive, uh, meaning that we may offer different therapies to someone with a lesser degree of disease if they actually have symptoms associated with that disease. But overall, the most common treatment that we offer is medical therapy. Lifestyle changes. Sometimes we offer additional medications to, to help reduce stroke risk. If more aggressive uh, measures are needed, like surgery, then we discuss with patients, and there are very safe and effective treatments to remove those blockages. Some people are also candidates for having a stent placed in the carotid artery. And a stent's just a small metal cage that can act, that we use to help stretch and hold a blood vessel open through what we call a minimally invasive or an endovascular procedure. Today we're talking with Dr. Michael Hartley of Hamilton Vascular Center. Dr. Hartley, you mentioned abdominal aortic aneurysms earlier. Explain to our listeners, what exactly does that mean? An aneurysm is simply an enlargement of an artery. While aneurysms can occur in almost any artery, the abdominal aorta is the most common artery in the body to develop aneurysms. Uh, How are aneurysms found? Some aneurysms can be found on physical exam by actually palpating the abdomen, but it's actually a pretty uncommon way to find aneurysms. The aneurysm would have to be very large, and the patient would have to be pretty small to find an aneurysm that way. The most common way to find an aneurysm is either with a screening study to specifically look to see if there's an aneurysm, or actually the most common way is is what we call an incidental finding. Someone gets an x-ray or a CT scan or an MRI for some other unrelated reason that happens to find the aneurysm. They would be very fortunate. Absolutely. Well, how do you treat an abdominal aortic aneurysm? Most people with an abdominal aortic aneurysm will actually never progress to the point they need any treatment. Um, The normal size of the aorta is between one and two centimeters in diameter, which is a little less than an inch. We consider it an aneurysm when it gets to three centimeters or greater. The larger the blood vessel gets, the more likely it is to rupture, which is why we watch these and follow them over time. Because if they do rupture, like we mentioned before, it's almost 90% chance of causing death. We don't really talk about treating aneurysms until you get to the five, five and a half centimeter range because at six centimeters, the risk of rupture starts to slowly increase. And Mm -hmm. as as the bigger the aneurysm gets, the more likely it is to rupture. Today, most aneurysms can be repaired using a pretty minimally invasive, what we call endovascular technique. A couple of 
a poke in each groin or a small incision in each groin to reline the blood vessel from the inside with what's called a stent graft. But there is there are a few people that still require the old-fashioned way where we go in and open the abdomen fully from top to bottom and actually physically replace that segment of blood vessel. Our final topic today is vascular disease that affects the legs, otherwise known as peripheral artery disease. Can you review again what that exactly is? Sure. Peripheral arterial disease is disease that leads to progressive narrowing or even blockages in the blood vessels that reduce blood flow to the legs. It's the reduction of the blood flow to the legs that leads to the symptoms that we see with peripheral arterial disease. And it's the most common thing that we see as vascular surgeons. Now, what types of symptoms does peripheral artery disease cause? It's actually frequently silent. It doesn't cause any symptoms at all. When it does cause symptoms, it's, it's, it's classically pain in the muscles of the legs and buttocks that can occur with walking. The medical term for that kind of discomfort is claudication. If the disease is more significant, then it can lead to pain and burning in the foot when you're lying flat or even, even elevating your legs. We call that rest pain. Um, it can also lead to sores and ulcers on the, on the legs that don't heal normally as well as gangrene. How can you test for peripheral arterial disease? The most common test is done by measuring blood pressures in the arms and legs. And we actually compare the blood pressure in the arms and legs. They should be roughly the same. If the blood pressure in the legs is significantly lower than the blood pressure in the arteries, that suggests that there is peripheral arterial disease, some sort of an narrowing or blockage present. More aggressive testing can be performed, CT scans, arteriograms, those types of things. Um, but those usually aren't the first steps in diagnosing this disease. How do you treat peripheral arterial disease? Well, the primary therapy, like some of the other vascular diseases we've discussed, is simple risk factor modification. Smoking and managing diabetes is, are the most important risk factors. Exercise actually plays a big role in peripheral arterial disease as well. There are medications that can be given to help slow the progression of the disease and help, help with some of the symptoms. If the symptoms have become severe enough, we might offer treatments in improving blood flow. Those are usually safe for people that have ulcers that won't heal or people that have what we call lifestyle limiting symptoms, meaning they simply can't get through their day doing what they want to do or what they need to do day in and day out without having some significant impact from these symptoms. In those patients, um, the most common thing that we do is called an arteriogram where we go in and place a catheter inside the blood vessel itself and take direct pictures of the blood vessel to find where the narrowed areas are and see if there's something that we can do with roto-rooters or stents or balloons or something to fix the blockage of the narrowing and improve the blood flow. If the endovascular, minimally invasive techniques aren't successful, then we still from time to time do larger procedures, open bypasses, um, you know, open surgeries to, to improve blood flow. Interestingly, those procedures actually tend to work better and last longer than the balloons and stents do, but because it's such an involved procedure that we usually wait until um, the patients no longer have any endovascular therapies before we offer the bigger, uh, more invasive procedures. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Hartley. Thanks for having me. It was great to talk to you again. For more information or an appointment at Hamilton Vascular Center in Dalton, call 706 259 3336. And for an appointment at the Chatsworth office, call 706-686-8090. You can also visit hamiltonhealth.com slash vascular to learn more. This program in no way seeks to diagnose or treat illness or to replace professional medical care. Please see your health care provider if you have a health problem. Thank you for listening to Health for Life, a presentation of Hamilton Healthcare System. 